This is Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. From Monaco to Indianapolis, Le Mans to Daytona, and everywhere in between. This is your one-stop shop for provocative motorsport talk. From the ITA Podcast Network, this is the Into the Paddock Podcast. Into the Paddock Podcast. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Into the Paddock podcast. My name is Jordan Groves and I am joined once again by Mr. Greg Meisner. Hello, Greg. Hey, what's up? It's Not, me. I'm here. It, it's, I'm actually it here this time. You. Yeah. Yeah. Two weeks in a row. Mate, oh, yeah, I was, I was here. I'm, <laughs> I'm losing so much track of time lately, right? Like you just, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's going you're, on. You're losing track of time. I'm losing track of time. I'm rec- we're recording this in my daytime for once. Yeah, it's uh, it's we're like four and a half hours ahead of schedule right now. Yeah, basically because you know I'm not working for a change, and you know it's, it's a holiday. It's, it's a holiday, so so, hooray! Um, we aren't joined by Mr. John Javicki this week. He's still acc- acclimating to his latest arrival. So again, we look forward to welcoming him back as soon as possible, so we can yeah, hear all of the stories. <laughs> he's probably sleeping right now. He probably is, and if, I don't blame if him. If I had to guess. <laughs> it's uh, daytime, so yeah, of course he is. <laughs> yeah, but he shouldn't be. His wife should be sleeping. Yes. It's daytime. <laughs> Take the shift, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But hey, it is what it is. It is. Um, it has been, uh, over the last weekend, uh, what many dub as Motorsports Christmas. Um, with three of the biggest racing events of the season supposed to have happened over the last two days. Um, Those being Monaco, Indianapolis, which we'll get onto, and the Coca-Cola 600 for NASCAR. We'll start off with NASCAR because, for those of you who don't know, we record this show on a Monday afternoon or evening, depending on where you are in the world, and then the show goes out on Tuesday afternoon, evening, wherever you are in the world. As of right now, the NASCAR Cup race has not started. Um, it has been a complete washout at Charlotte Motor Speedway over the weekend. The only races that have gone ahead are the Truck Series races and the Arc Arca race. Um, the Xfinity race was meant to happen Saturday night and was rescheduled to uh, Monday morning slash midday. Uh, that tried to go ahead earlier. They got stage one done and they've had to rain it off again and postpone it until after the Cup race. And the cup race is set to start in about 20 minutes time or so. So perhaps if the show, if, if the race gets going, depending on whether it rains again, uh, we'll, 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 we'll give you some updates <laughs> as, as the race goes on. It's probably not, it's, it's definitely not going to finish before we end this show. So we'll have to bring you like the results of it on next week's show. But what, um, what yeah. are the, what are the, the rules as far as like, so what happens if the rain out day gets rained out? I think we, we have had a Tuesday race before. Does it go on Tuesday? Um, it does go on Tuesday. I don't know how late they do. I don't think we've ever had a Wednesday race that was meant to be on a Sunday. Um, but yeah, I know, I know we've had a Tuesday race before. And, and so I assume they just keep going until 
they have to move to the next race, I suppose. Yeah, I was about to, because you're cutting it close to, like, like needing to be at the next track, right? Like, needing to have the cars in the haulers traveling to the next place. What's the next race? Uh, next race for Cup is uh, next weekend at Gateway in uh, St. Louis. So... It's not too it's not far terrible, to drive. But then but the Xfinity series, which is meant to be racing today, is in Portland, Oregon. Oh, God So damn. they've got a long way to go. And if and, yeah. and if it were next week, then the Cup Series is meant to be going to Sonoma. So, you know, it, thank God there's a bit of a stopgap in the way. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a long way. And, and with Xfinity running before the Cup Series, mm, it you know, they got to be at the track more. even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Cutting it close. At what point do you think they cancel it? I think, um, I mean, in in this case, the weather looks good enough today that they will get the cup race in. And, you know, Xfinity, I don't think they're as reluctant to cancel them. Um, But, you know, I I think if, like like I said, we've seen Tuesday races. I think if it went into a Wednesday, I don't think that's feasible from that point. Because you've got, it it takes a while to set up at these racetracks as you probably know from your yeah. experience, even in NPC. So, yeah, I mean, it takes, it, you know, the, the trucks show up usually the day before and then, uh, you know, I think they show up at like Wednesday, but they're staged somewhere away from the facility. Uh, Thursday is load in and set up, you know, Friday's practice, Saturday's a race. That's how we, mm. you know, we've been navigating it, but uh, yeah, that's it's uh, you're, you're cutting it close. Like I said, they're staged outside the facility by Wednesday, mm. set up by Thursday, and, and then so, you got the travel on top of that as well. And yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, you're you're cutting it real, real close. <laughs> so yeah, so hopefully the races will go ahead today. Like I said, the, the forecast for today looks a lot better. It, it looks like we will at least get the cup race in. Um, the, the most of the rain looks to have gone for today from Charlotte, so. We, we should get both of those races in today, but we'll, yeah, we'll bring you some updates in the second half of the show with the cup race. And we'll actually bring you the results of that on next week's show, which is actually looking like it's going to be even more busy than this week, which is the most sports Christmas because next week we've got F1 IndyCar, NASCAR, Formula E and, um, and, Emsa. and, oh God, is it? Well, well yeah, you're uh, the pilot. So, yeah. so I'm not, I'm actually not going to this next race. <laughs> oh, you're not. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess they uh, they have enough personnel. Oh, fair enough. Uh, that, so core is from Detroit. Mm. Right? Uh, so it's like the, like well, I guess outside of Detroit somewhere. But so it's like their hometown race. So I'm sure they have a lot of people that they know. Yeah. Uh, you know, from past events and stuff. So it just it just didn't work out this time. But I will be at Watkins Glen. Yeah. Uh, on the twenty second, something like that, which uh, should be an awesome race. It's going to be a big uh, ITA Network meetup got a whole bunch of people showing up for that so if you're listening come look us up we're in the campground somewhere yeah yeah absolutely yeah so yeah we'll we'll bring you the latest on nascar all we can tell you so far is that ben rhodes won the truck series race on friday night that's 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 all we've got for nascar so far so um but on to the other two major parts of motorsports christmas weekend um we'll start off with the monaco grand prix in this half um I was fully ready for uh, Monaco to be the worst part of the three. Um, and I suppose at the moment it's not got a high bar to clear considering that the Coke race hasn't actually happened. Um, you know, there's a lot of preconceptions of Monaco 
and a, and a lot of correct stereotypes of it being a very very bad race and a, and usually a pretty good qualifying. Um, I think on both counts, it exceeded expectations. Um, wildly, actually. I mean, to be honest. <laughs> wildly, yeah. So the the qualifying session first, I guess we'll start there, mm. right? Right, do that first. The qualifying session, I have been seeing people say, and this is people in other you know areas of motorsports journalism saying that, that was probably the best Monaco qualifying session in recent history and i would agree i, I would even I, go as far to say it was the best formula one qualifying i have seen in, at least yeah. in the time that i've been watching yeah 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 because it, it was unbelievable I mean, <laughs> at the at, at the end uh well first of all you had sergio perez crashing out in q1 right king of the streets sergio perez yeah yep. and that was not what i it, it like so it, it it immediately started off right off the bat like okay we're, we're just gonna take whatever you thought was gonna happen and just throw it the fuck out the window um sergio perez ends up in the wall breaking the car uh unable to continue you know p20 on the grid uh and then q2 happens q1 was pretty exciting too mm. i mean it, yeah Ham but, hamilton and science barely made it out of yeah. um, q1 yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was quite the session, and then Q two happens, and you see uh, uh, who was it? Is it Esteban Ocon actually put on a fucking good showing in Q two? Uh, Ocon, Ocon was the the he kind of came out of nowhere in Q three. Um, That's right. In in Q two, the the surprise was it really a surprise? Was Lance Stroll being eliminated? Um, which is bad when you consider so throughout practice and qualifying, it seemed as though, and even before a car had turned a wheel on track, everyone was kind of like, this is all the other team's best shot to beat Red Bull. Because mm -hmm. if this car has got any weakness at all, which it doesn't really, but it, its main advantage is its straight line speed and Monaco doesn't have any. So you had well, everybody it, saying that it, it does. It, the car does have a weakness. It just comes in the form of the Armco berries. True. Yep, <laughs> and the second driver. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I, and that's that's even a, you got a stretch to yeah, say that, yeah, right? He's, because he's it was bad. a it was a fucking rare mistake. Oh yeah, for sure. From for sure. Checo to hit the wall like that, and and so I, I it, there had to have been something else to play, mm. just a momentary lapse in concentration. Mm. Something something had to just happen that was abnormal for him to hit the wall. But even even so, one of the other weaknesses of the car, I suppose, again, the stretch, is that it's not the easiest car to drive. Um, whereas the Aston Martin is widely hailed to be a very stable platform, which is quite useful at Monaco when you are trying to weave between barriers. Um, you also had Ferrari. They tend to be pretty good here at Monaco in recent years in qualifying, so people were looking up at them. And Mercedes were bringing their upgrades, so people didn't know how close they could be potentially. Um so yeah, for, for Aston Martin to and and throughout practice, like by by this point of qualifying, Aston Martin looked like they had the second fastest car behind Red Bull, and yet Lance Stroll is eliminated in Q two. We'll we'll talk more about Lance in the race, but let's just say <laughs> wasn't his finest hour this week. Um, no, and then you had Q three, and Q three was amazing. So. It's interesting. So Monaco always goes through this phase, even even if you leave the track alone for one hour it gets green again. Like it, it's a, it's a, a constantly evolving racing surface, especially from day to day as people go on the track and party and spill drinks and 
probably vomit on it. Um, you know, it's constantly evolving. And and this final Q3 session in particular, even right at the, right in the middle point of the weekend, with cars having been on track throughout, it was still massively evolving. It was almost as if it had been raining and you were going through this drying period where the times just get quicker and quicker lap after lap. Um, and even in this final session, it ramped up so much for the final runs that you, you genuinely had no idea who was going to get pole position until the last moment. And boy, was the last moment intense in this qualifying session. I, I, I want to give props to almost everyone on the grid because the way they were driving and qualifying was unbelievable. Like yeah, the I amount mean, of commitment they had. Even coming out incredible. of qualifying and into the race, like when we'll talk about it here in a second, the entire field was just on their shit mm. phenomenally the whole weekend. Right. Well, maybe not the whole weekend, but from from qualifying through to the end of the race, a phenomenal drive from mm. every person on the grid. To be honest, I mean, even Lance Stroll's little hiccup in the in the race, which we'll get to. It, 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 I noticed something in in the broadcast that I don't think the commentators saw. But we, anyway, we'll get mm. to it. We'll get to it. It was a great. It was just a great showing from the entire yeah. field across the board. And this was encapsulated by Esteban Ocon, who. Out of nowhere, at this point, final run in Q1, sticks it on provisional pole. And I was thinking, where the fuck did he come from? This is the yep. Alpine that a couple of weeks ago, their boss was saying that they were all shit. Like, fair dinkum, both of them got into Q3, and, and Ocon pulled a lap out from his asshole. Like, it was incredible. Charles Leclerc then came through to go quicker. And, and just beat him by like seven hundredths of a second to take up provisional pole. Then came Fernando Alonso, who he himself has been intimating for weeks now that he was going to win the Monaco Grand Prix. So, you know, when he's willing to say that, you've got to think it's true. He comes through and gets provisional pole by two hundredths of a second ahead of Charles Leclerc. And then came Max Verstappen. Now, in the uh, after the first two sectors of the lap, of his final lap, he was two tenths down on Fernando Alonso. You're thinking, you know, that's it. Alonso's got this. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. Because a lot, I mean, throughout practice and qualifying, the Aston Martin looked a little bit slower in the final sector and, and Red Bull, particularly Max, looked on it. And even so, I wasn't ready for that final sector that Max put in. His commitment through the final chicane, his commitment through Rasgas as well. Everything was millimeter perfect. Unbelievable. I, I I'm not the biggest Max Verstappen fan. I think I've made that clear in previous episodes. <laughs> but his talent is unbelievable. The car is unbelievable. The combination, ridiculous. And that final sector might be the best final sector I've ever seen anyone drive at Monaco. Incredible. It was, it, I mean, and and Fernando had a little bit of uh, a, a wiggle coming through the last turn. Was it his last turn, Rascast? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of a wiggle coming through the last turn, and I think that helped Max Verstappen. But I didn't, I didn't really notice it until I saw later a uh, like a CGI graphic, yeah, of the two cars on top of each other running the the lap. Really around. good graphic, and by it, the way. <laughs> yeah, it was a really, really awesome graphic, and and the whole time you're like, all right, Fernando's got it, Fernando's got it, and then uh, that final fucking sector happened, and you can see exactly the moment like max overtook him in the qualifying lap right at rascast it was just I, yeah i'll agree that final sector was incredible. absolutely millimeter perfect it was incredible to watch the guy 
put on a show. I don't don't want to compare him to Cena. In it Cena's, felt like that, but it felt like that. It did it did it really did? Like you just you you knew you were watching something that was just pure artistry. It was very <laughs> similar to yeah. um, in 2021. Verstappen in the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix qualifying session where he was on a lap that visually looked like the most impressive lap you've yep. ever seen and then he binned it at the final corner. Mm-hmm. It felt like that except he didn't bin it. And in a way that's very Senna because he did that from time to time as well. Yep. Um, yeah, I, you know, it feels kind of like heresy to com- to compare him and I'm sure there are probably people out there w- that want us burned at the stake for saying that. But <laughs> Yeah, it did feel again, like mean, that it, in it, a way. Yeah, it felt like you were watching it happen again. Mm. You know, and and it was just such a just an amazing lap. I don't yeah. know. I don't know how else to describe it other than than it was just you. You could not. No, nobody could have driven more perfectly. Mm. It, it was. It was incredible. It was incredible. And and for a, a modern day Formula One qualifying session to end with a Max Verstappen pole position, and for us to all still be saying it's one of the best qualifying sessions we've ever seen, you know, it's got to be good. Um, yeah, it's, I think it's still saying something. You still got to give the kid credit <laughs> for you know? sure. Like in, sure. in the engineers, the whole team, like they put together a solid fucking car for him to drive. Mm. And then he's just he's an artiste, you and- know. <laughs> And as an Alonso fan, you know, I was gutted. And, and as a Leclerc fan. Um, but, you know, after after last year's Grand Prix, when Alonso m- made the barricade that he did and created that 30-second gap between him, the rest of the field, and the five leaders that were in front of him at the time, you have to think that if Alonso had got pole position, he probably would have won the race. Um, but that's maybe, just Monaco. Like, maybe. With hindsight and what happened, you know, he still could have won the race, but we'll get onto that. But equally, he could have lost it. You don't know. But, you know, I I do wish, I do, I would have loved to have seen Fernando get pole. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I do still think it's going to happen this season. I do do think that at some point we are going to get a non-Red Bull win. And it's it's going to be for an yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think and I think Leclerc's going to get a win as well potentially. I still think there is hope that the season could end excitingly. But even even like the race today, oh the, the, not today, the race on Sunday uh, showed that you know we can have a Verstappen pole and win. Spoiler alert: Verstappen went on to win the race, and yet it was still bloody brilliant. Um, but just before we move on to the race, yeah. So uh, Verstappen was pole, Alonso was second, Leclerc was meant to start third. But then the Monaco curse came in once again for Charles because he then received a three-place grid penalty for impeding Lando Norris in Q3. And it was a slam dunk impedion- in, like it, it was in the middle of the tunnel. Leclerc was, was going really slowly and Norris nearly drove up the back of him. It was probably the worst impediment I've ever yeah. seen. <laughs> he was lucky. He <laughs> it was, was lucky so, it was only it three was places. So bad, and not it was. He's lucky it wasn't a, a fucking huge ass crash in, yeah. in the tunnel. Yeah. Right, like it was. It was so close, and that's why these guys do those those fucking you know tennis ball reaction time drills and all kinds of other shit because they just oh man. And there's two things. Uh, a about- lesser person would have rammed that car so far up that Ferrari's ass. It, they would have been one. Yeah, you know, like it was it was bad. There are two things with that as well. The stewards, when they gave Charles the penalty, were basically like, "Yo, we don't know what the fuck your team were doing because they didn't tell you." Um, so that was quite amusing. 
and yeah, it's it's partially not his fault. I'll say it's seventy five percent the team, twenty five percent him. But also, there is apparently a gentleman's agreement that you don't slow down in the tunnel like that. So, I mean, yeah, I I, I question Charles' decision making and going that slowly. But equally, and perhaps more importantly, the team should have told him he was coming. It's just yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, and. Uh, I was kind of unaware of the gentleman's agreement in the tunnel, but I mean, that makes sense. It's dark. You're coming from, from bright sunlight into the dark. Your eyes don't adjust before you even get out of the tunnel. Mm. You know, you're probably blind and it's a blind turn. Yeah. You know, you can't see around if it. If Shaw so. was slightly further around that corner, then Lando would have had even less time to react. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. not good, but yeah, just a, a further... Uh, latest installment in the curse that Charles seems to have at Monaco. And his brother wasn't immune too. Um, he, he had a terrible weekend in the F2 race, um, crashed in qualifying, started both races from the back, had a crash at the beginning of the first race, lost his brakes in the second race. The Leclerc curse is still going. <laughs> it's it's terrible. It's, it sucks. And, and you know, it's gotta be weird. I was, I was, talking about this with uh with my girlfriend it's got to be weird driving around the track and like passing the house you grew up in you know <laughs> i mean i'm not i'm not fully aware of where his house is you yeah. know but, but it's the it's, streets he grew up on he, he said that one absolutely. of the one of the corners is basically the way he went to walk to school when he was a kid yeah <laughs> like, that's gotta be weird yeah and and uh a lot of the formula one guys i mean i think uh i think dc lives there they are also virtually all yeah, of them. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's definitely got to be weird to have like this weird, this it's, it's not officially your home. I mean, for Charles it is hmm. right. He's a Monegasque, but, uh, I just Max lived there also. Max I lives think? there as well. Yeah. 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 So Lewis did Lando does tax Haven. I was looking up some, so here's some, here's some cool stats from Monaco. Oh God. The principality. Um, so, uh, there is zero personal income tax except for French citizens. <laughs> if you're a French citizen living in Monaco, you got to pay an income tax. Um, in 2023, it was placed on, uh, some kind of international financial institutions, uh, like gray list for, uh, for lack of oversight mm-hmm. in finances and stuff and possibly like financing uh terrorism and shit this was in february this year uh it was placed on the list it is uh so there's there's 38,000 residents of monaco right 9,000 of which are natural monegas citizens um it's so it's like 159th in population it's like number two in population density because it's only two point something square kilometers the entire country it has its gdp was like seven point something billion dollars which places it in the 150 something range of gdp across the world but it's number two for per capita gdp which there are per capita like income which is like one hundred and eighty thousand dollars a year and that's the median it's it, the the numbers out of this country are fucking ridiculous. It's mad. It's it, it's it, really yeah, mad. It's it's the most expensive place to live. Mm. Period. Period. And it's also it's it's got a higher population density than like Tokyo. Yeah. 
you know, 38,000 people living in 2.1 something square kilometers. And that, that number, that 2.1 square kilometers is actually 20%. It's the country is actually 20% larger than it was in 2015 when it yeah. was like 1.5 square Yeah, because of the land reclamation uh, yeah. out of Portier. Yeah, it just, what the fuck? It, it, it's mad. <laughs> it, it sounds like it's a fictitious place. It, yeah, it, it shouldn't mad. be. It shouldn't be real. It should not be real <laughs> at all. But it, it exists. If uh, if you yourself are a millionaire slash billionaire, um, go live there. You won't have to pay taxes. Uh, I will say though that the real estate value for a lot of the places there, I think it reached in 2020, it reached a hundred thousand U.S. dollars per square meter for real estate. Go for it. If you can afford it, if you can afford it, fucking go for it, dude. (laughs) Anyway, that was just my my little you know Monaco trivia moment. Yeah, it is. It's it's all part of the circus of it, and it's all part of what makes Monaco. You know, I, I think. There's there's always a debate around this time of year about whether Formula One should still be racing in Monaco, and you know I think qualifying, especially this year, is usually worth the price of admission for the whole weekend. Like qualifying is genuinely one of my favorite sure. parts of motorsport of the whole year. Formula One qualifying at Monaco. Um, could the, could they do they maybe need to look at changing the race somehow, changing the layout if it's possible? Then yes, I feel like if they had just one more overtaking spot it would kind of justify it equally if they made the cars better then that would work (laughs) the track has had like one change which is the addition of the chicane coming out of the tunnel Mm. since it's running in 1950 or whatever the fuck Mm. right or you know since well i guess 1950 was the first time well they they had the the track has been there since like the 20s right yeah the the changes they had was the chicane out of the tunnel and they also the the rascast final turn used to be one much tighter hairpin um okay that was before i think the rascast bar was even there so like so i mean it's (laughs) yeah it there's there's not a whole lot of room to change the track hmm Right. There's really no, there's no, I mean, we saw, we saw amazing coverage, like aerial shots. Oh yeah. This the, oh, that's because, another thing. The coverage because, this year yeah, much better. The, so much better because ACM was not controlling yeah. the broadcast. And may it they never that. do it ever again. Please, please, please. It was like, we haven't, correct me if I'm wrong, but have we ever had a helicopter? I don't think so. No. no, so not since the invention of fucking helicopters We've have had we had like a, helicopters a flying shot in the distance with the whole city, but never yeah. on like at the track. Yeah, I, I think they had to Prince Albert uh, signed personally hmm. to allow them to have the the helicopter there. So I don't think yeah, since the invention of flying, have we had like over track shots of Monaco? It was amazing. Hmm. It was amazing. So, uh, yeah, may ACM never control the broadcast ever again. The camera angles were way better. Yeah. Like, uh, just everything about it. The was cars awesome. just looked so much quicker this year, and that was purely down to the car, the, the camera angles. It was so much better. So much better. But, yeah, but to, to our point about, you know, um, yeah, the, the air, airborne shots really did a lot to show how cramped everything is in Monaco. So there really isn't a way that 
uh, there is really isn't an obvious way that you could improve the circuit <laughs> layout. The only possible area is around the portier area where the land reclamation is going. You know, maybe in a few years there might be some room there to add another overtaking spot if you go off to the left. But possibly. But I think but, the, but the, he, it mainly comes down to the cars. You know. Yeah. One hundred percent. Because I mean, I, I, <laughs> look, yeah, Formula E with their eighty something was it eighty something overtakes or sixty something overtakes yeah. during their race. Kind of, kind of crazy, and and even well, even down into Formula Two, you saw some Formula some Two good overtakes. Better. Formula Three yeah. was was really good. Uh, I didn't watch the Formula Three race, uh, but uh, Formula Two looked great. And uh, I guess we can go ahead and just start talking about the actual Formula One race. Yeah, now. yeah. We saw some crazy shit. Yeah. Right, like lap number one, we had a complete, almost totally to a stop traffic jam at. The hairpin, mm-hmm. right? We saw a Williams uh, not too long. Was that might have been later on in the race? But a Williams made three overtakes in one lap around Monaco in a modern Formula One car. What the fuck is going on? I think that was after the rain hit. Actually, yeah, but right, like, so even at like, the start, you had you had Hulkenberg, um, albeit very clumsily go up the inside into Mirabeau, barging past Stroll, and then rear-ending Clumsily, Alton. that dude was a battering yeah. ram going And then every, uh, well, the commentators were like, ah, you know, you've got to pass at, at Monaco. No, not by hitting people, you don't. Yeah, <laughs> no, not, not in, I mean, if if it was a GT race, you know, like, was yeah, Porsche Cup the there? Yeah, the fenders. Yeah, Porsche, Porsche Cup was. Yeah, so, you know, that's acceptable in a Porsche Cup race, but not in a Formula open-wheel no. format. And, and side note, we won't. We don't talk about Porsche Super Cup on this series. But if anyone gets a chance to watch qualifying, which is up on YouTube, I think the way they drive Monaco is incredible because they are fully four wheels off the ground over the curbs at the at the final chicane. It, they're great. But back to Formula One. <laughs> yeah, so it was kind of a race of almost two halves exactly because you had the first half of the race basically in the dry. Max Verstappen ended up pulling away to about about a five second, ten second ish lead. Um, but then about as we approached halfway, we started hearing there's rain coming and then stand, then came the usual formula one thing of the rain's coming. Well, is it because there were about 20 laps where we heard rain is imminent and then it never happened. And then it did. Um, it was right around the very limit of the, uh, uh, of the tires where, where the drivers had to come in and make their first pit stop. So, so many people were waiting much longer than they would usually because they wanted to just go straight from dries to wets. Um, and then all of a sudden you had the, like the middle sector. So around Portier and Mirabeau and the hairpin, all of a sudden that area alone chucked it down. Like it was, yeah. it was mad rain all of a sudden they were crawling around there, but mm-hmm. then the other half of the track was completely dry how we ended up with a half and half racetrack for a significant portion of time at the shortest track on the calendar. I don't know. It was, it was something you normally see at spa. Um, right. Where, uh, you know, the track covers a, yeah, a, the, 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 I pretty sure the, the grounds, the facility of spa is larger than the entire country of Monaco. Probably is. Yeah. I f- right. You're probably so, not wrong. And so just having, you know, like, like like you just said, having half the track in the wet and half the track in the dry. I mean, exactly what you want to happen at a Monaco race happened. Mm. You had you had a, a dry qualifying. You had a dry first half of the race. You had questionable rain coming through the middle half. And after the rain hit, you had teams confused about whether or not they should come into pit. 
to change for you know enters or 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 full wets as you know we saw later on in the race it was it was phenomenal right just and watching watching cars trying to get to the tunnel section going maybe 10 miles an hour just spinning tires it was it was it was fucking awesome it was a really <laughs> good display of driving skill yeah and, and yeah some and, drivers made mistakes and lance stroll ended up having a rather embarrassing crash at the hairpin on inters but it, it's you know we'll meme about lance and i do think there's questions that need to be asked about whether lance should stay in a top flight seat now but you know it's driving a formula one car at monaco it's it's hard even in, in the, the dry so then yeah. you add the rain you know i, yeah, I yeah. can forgive there and, being mistakes and so I was talking about this earlier. I, I, I noticed something in the broadcast that I don't think, because they, 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 I don't remember what, I was watching the Formula One broadcast, and I don't remember what they specifically said, but it wasn't, it didn't match up as to what was going on on the screen. Lance comes through the hairpin and knocks the front wing off. And then the front wing kind of kicks sideways and goes underneath the yeah. front left tire of his car. And so as he's trying to recover from hitting the wall, going into the next turn, it, it just won't turn because he's, he's just on, he's on top of his wing and hits the wall a second time on the other side. It was, it was just terrible. And I don't, I don't think uh, it completely came down to being Lance's fault. I think it, the, the way, the way the wing crushed and went underneath his, yeah, he, he was screwed it. from the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, you know, bad luck, but I mean it it is what it is. It's Monaco, people crash, mm -hmm. and uh a little bit of a spoiler, he's the only one. Yeah. He was the only one. He was the only one that went out. There were zero safety cars. Which is the mad considering there was rain halfway through. Yeah, and not only rain halfway through, but for the first more than just a couple of laps into the rain getting there, nobody was on enters or wets. Everybody was still on slicks. And so, just the, the, and that's what I was saying earlier on in the show is like, they put on a hell of a show. And, and it was just, it, I feel like everybody on the grid earned their seat that day. Yeah. It was just, it, it, it was just, I couldn't believe there weren't any safety cars. Mm. I couldn't believe we weren't seeing more crashes. I couldn't believe there wasn't, you know, just absolute fucking carnage from a track so wet you could see, you know, the water tracks when they when they drove through on slicks. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> and then on the other side, so we were talking about Lance. On the other side of the Aston Martin garage, you had the the complete uh, obvious example of how difficult it was to call strategy because not only was the rain slowly arriving and then all of a sudden it came down but you then didn't have a, a really good idea of how long the rain was going to stay for which culminated in on one lap you had a bunch of drivers coming in for intermediates but aston martin put fernando alonso on dries um and, and they went to mediums right yeah and yeah. and fernando said post-race you know it's easy because the net by the next lap he 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 literally pitted the next lap for Inters again um, mm -hmm. because it was very obvious they'd made a mistake by that point. But Fernando said post race, "I'm not angry because on that lap, it was the correct decision. 
it's that's how quickly it changed all of a sudden no because that's the thing it may have seemed weird him putting on dries but if you can get a, a relatively soft tire compound heated up it's not that bad you can manage it and if the rain was only going to last for five minutes he would have been exactly on the right call because he would have had hot tires on a drying surface or on a slightly wet surface and he would have been okay and everyone else would have had to come into go, go to dries again however the rain stayed for the rest of the race so ultimately it didn't cost him any positions uh he managed to because of all the other cars that were having slow in laps and out laps he was able to maintain second place however he lost he went from about eight seconds behind verstappen to 21 22 um and when the pit stop delta is about 21 seconds for a pit stop in Monaco. There is an argument to be made that if Aston Martin had put him on Inters the first time around, he could have come out in the lead of the race. And then who knows what would have happened for the rest. Um, but no, I think Alonso's attitude is the way to, co- to, to go for it. You know, in that situation, it's very difficult to make the, all of the right calls. Um, so, you know, fair credit to Aston. What have they really got to lose? You know, they're, they're yep. not in the championship punt that yeah they're in the battle for second with mercedes and mercedes are closed right up to them in, cons- in the constructors now but that's mainly as a result of lance not scoring points um you know fair credit to them for giving it a try you know you're not going to win at monaco just by doing what doing what the leader does so but yeah just it, it looked it was, weird but it's understandable monaco fucking delivered this week it really did i mean or this year rather it it really really delivered and in a way that I haven't seen that race go down in, I mean, not since I've started watching Formula One, you know, fucking 10 years ago, maybe, you know? Yeah, that that was probably the most entertaining Monaco race that I've seen as well. Um, it's difficult because it wasn't, it was great driving from everyone. I wouldn't say it was great racing because you can't really race at Monaco. It comes down to who makes the least mistakes and who gets the right strategy. It's a test. It's a test like that. So, you know, would I say it's a great race? I mean, it was an entertaining race, mainly because of the chaos brought on by the rain. I wouldn't say it was a great race because of Formula One doing anything particularly right, but it was still good. And, and you know, for for similar to what we said about qualifying, if, if we can have a Monaco Grand Prix Formula One weekend where Max Verstappen wins from pole, and yet we were all still thoroughly entertained, that's that's <laughs> that's a win, I would say. Um, yeah. Verstappen ended up winning by 27 seconds in the end. You know what? Like, like I said, Alonso came out about 20, 21 ish seconds behind, and then they just kind of paced themselves for the rest of the race. Um, Verstappen had a couple of near misses in the wet conditions, but you know, largely he drove a perfect race as perfect as you can get in the wet in Monaco, really. Yeah. Um, Yeah. He had a couple of little wall bonks. Yeah. And I wouldn't, I'd be lying if I didn't say that I was hoping there'd be a little bit heavier of a bonk. But that's mainly, of, of course, <laughs> mainly because I wanted Alonso to win. Of course, you want Max Verstappen to crash and uh, Fernando Alonso to win. Doesn't everyone? I mean, unless you're like a Verstappen Dutch. fan, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, that's but exactly re- what you want. But to also, have. not in a way like not, not in a way that he would be injured. I just wanted to like just you know break a toe link, just break suspension, just a little suspension, you know, or get a flat tire, just or a little kit, you know, just you know, yeah, kith, kith, now, little kith, um. um <laughs> It, yeah, it, but but again, I mean, and even Fernando Alonso came out later on. I think he said something today, yesterday. I don't know. I, I just read a post about it right before we started recording. Fernando said he had no chance 
in in catching Max, right? And I mean that makes sense. I don't know. Just, I, I think Red Bull's been, on some different shit this year. <laughs> I, I think Alonso was playing playing it down a little bit. I th- I really do think they had a chance to win this weekend. Uh, like eight hundredths in qualifying, well, it would have changed. He was I, saying after the after the race started, right? With Max being out in front and the lead that he got, he had no chance mm, to catch but, up. To but him, I so think even just, even if they'd made that into into call instead of the dries, I do think Fernando would have come out ahead of him. Like, because Max had a very just slow clearly out of pit strategy, but yeah. pit strategy, yeah. But 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 like, I like the way Fernando went about it because he didn't he didn't he wasn't too hard on anyone. He he said you know it was the right call at the time. So in hindsight, in hindsight, you could do anything. Yeah, but you know that's just the way it goes. So I, I do I do think it's it's a it's it makes me slightly more confident because I think we are going to get another t- another winner that isn't Red Bull this year. I I'm certain of it. So, you know, at least there's something there to look forward to. And and you know, we're going to we're going to Spain next week, Alonso's home race. It on and paper it's, it's it Spain should... it's Spain without the final yes, chain this is. year, right? It's the old layout, right? F- thank oh, God after so fucking long. <laughs> I love that track so much, but that final chicane is one of my least favorite turns in all of motorsport. I don't understand how the two can occupy the same space in my brain, but they do. It's like fu- fucking love that track, but they ruined it with that. And that's been there for. They like, first more ran than, it in 2008. Yeah. I was about to say almost 10 years by now. Right. Mm. So it's been over. Sadly. Uh, oh, it's been over. Oh, it's been, oh, oh man. Yeah. 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a, it's been there. It's been there for a long time and it was in the name of safety. I get it. Blah, blah, blah. But that was safety for the Moto GP guys, mm. right? It wasn't safety for the, for the four wheel cars. Well, and also the, at the time there wasn't enough runoff, um, to allow the cars to carry that much speed around those corners. Now they've managed to improve the runoff in that area, so they're allowed to go back to this new configuration. So, so are they getting rid of the? Are they going back to the old hairpin? At, what is it? Turn ten? No, so it, that's still the much longer uh, increased radius uh, hairpin that they introduced a couple of years ago. That that's remained the same, um, and I, I prefer yeah. that. I prefer that to be honest. I, I, I don't. It, I don't. It's got I, a like nice the, I like. I like the bigger outside turn. I, I like the bigger outside. I think camera. we're talking about the same one. It's not. It's um, not the tighter one. It's the longer. The longer it's one. It's going to be the longer one. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. not the tighter one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I prefer that one than the yeah, much than better the tighter one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Perfect. If we're if we're going to go that route and just go full, you know, Catalonia classic hmm. track, I'm I'm for it. Yeah. So if it, if good. there's anywhere that Alonso can can pull out a surprise win, maybe it's in front of his home crowd. Obviously, that's the last time he won a Grand Prix was in 2013 in Spain. So, would be would be fairly fitting if almost exactly 10 years later you can do it again. Um, just to round out the Monaco result, Esteban Ocon managed managed to finish third, his third podium in Formula One. A fucking credit to him. He had a banging weekend. Um, yeah, to, yeah, he did. That Alpine looked much more suited. Obviously, Monaco is a very, very unique racetrack, so it might be that Alpine just, for some reason, hit the nail on the head this week. I guess we'll see, but but that was a very much-needed result for him and the team after the um, criticism they had from Laurel Rossi a couple weeks ago. Um, Hamilton and Russell, fourth and fifth. Um, f- like, you know, it's hard to tell where the upgrades from Mercedes have gone because Monaco is such a unique track. We'll get a much more 
accurate reading in Spain, which is basically the perfect track to test a new car. What do you what do you think about? I mean, obviously, we just said you're not going to be able to test out the upgrades too much because it's Monaco. What do you think about the look? About the way they look? I my it seems to me everybody's adopting the Ferrari bathtub style side pods. Which is interesting, right. considering that Ferrari kind of leaned away from that for this year and moved toward the Red Bull concept. So yeah, I think for Mercedes, it was a case of they can't really change too much of the inherent structure of their car at this late point. Um, I think the real interesting thing will be what they bring out next year um, mm -hmm. when they can have, have more of a blank canvas to work with instead of adapting their old car. But, you know, it, it's not surprising that Mercedes have moved toward a more traditional layout than what they currently run. It happened sooner than I thought it was going to. I mean, I, 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 I knew it was coming, but I just, I didn't think they would. Yeah. Who brings upgrades to Monaco? Well, this is the problem because <laughs> they were meant to bring these upgrades to Imola, which obviously then didn't happen. Uh, yeah. But yeah, then yeah, yeah. the upgrades were so integral to the structure of the car that they couldn't take them off for Monaco. So you might as well run them at that point. Um, that makes sense. That makes sense. So yeah, I, I forgot that we didn't do Imola. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Hamilton fourth, Russell fifth. Uh, Russell got a penalty halfway through the race for one of the most eye-racing rejoins I've ever seen. He rejoined uh, from an off at Mirabeau right into the path of Sergio Perez, who was already a lap down at that point because of his terrible grid position. Um, ultimately, the penalty didn't impact anything because he was well ahead of Charles Leclerc, who finished sixth. An anonymous weekend for Ferrari. Uh, you've got to feel that even if Leclerc had qualified third, given the rain, Ferrari probably would have fucked him back down to sixth anyway. So, you know, disappointing, but at least Leclerc finished the race. Um, Gasly seventh, double points for Alpine. Yeah, just really good. Um, awesome. Awesome work, guys. Science in eighth. He's was really angry because he was in the fight with Ocon and Hamilton for third and fourth, but... Um, he had uh he also had an off during the rain sequence and and lost a lot of time there also was angry at the timing of his strategy because he wanted to pass Ocon and not defend from Hamilton but nevertheless he finished eighth and then you had the two McLarens of Norris and Piastri rounding out the points um best livery of the weekend I really do like their triple crown livery that they're running at Monaco yeah, in Spain um and yeah good that they were both in the points I guess um I mean it it, it to me it seemed like they actually got some shit together. I don't know if it was if if it was the fact that they did better than they have in the past this season, or if the track was just worse. You know what I'm saying? I don't know which one played into McLaren's favor, but I was definitely glad to see him get double points. Yeah, yeah, it was good. Um, and then further back, uh, Perez only 16th. Um, you know, you start at the back at Monaco, it's hard to overtake. He couldn't really make any ground in the opening stages. Couldn't take advantage of the uh, wet to dry conditions because at that point he was already a lap down anyway. Ended up going two laps down by the end just because of, you know, how hard it is to pass people when you're not getting blue flags. Yeah, just a, a really terrible weekend for Sergio. And it just goes to show, you know, you have one problem in qualifying at the wrong time, which is very easy to do at Monaco. It is a very hard track. Um, and it can completely undo your weekend. So, you know, it, it's a bit of a far cry from a couple of weeks ago when he was um, beating Verstappen on merit in Baku and everyone was calling him king of the streets and, oh, he, could he take the fight to Verstappen this year? 
I think the last two races, Miami and Monaco, have kind of proven that's not really going to happen. But Perez just isn't on that level consistently enough to mount a challenge, which is depressing. But <laughs> it is. It makes me sad. Yeah, <laughs> it makes me sad because I want, I want more. Uh, of Checo's dad on the grid, honestly, <laughs> like <laughs> he is so good. I, I, I fucking love that guy. <laughs> He's great. The, 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 was it Mexico mm. when they, when uh, Sergio was he? Did Sergio win in Mexico? No, or did he? He was third. He get podium. Second. Get a podium. Just having, uh, Papa Perez. On camera, hugging everybody, going "No mama's way," <laughs> <laughs> on the on the fucking broadcast. Which, if you if you don't speak Spanish, uh, that's a bad word. <laughs> <laughs> He's great. Yeah, we we need more of him. We really do. Um, just before we go to our break, I'll mention the um, support races. Uh, well, Formula Two and Formula Three from Monaco. Um, Yumo Awasa won the sprint race to briefly take the drivers' championship lead in Formula Two. Uh, Frederick Vesti then won the feature race um, and then took the championship lead for himself ahead of uh, Teo Porcher and uh, Rodin Carl and Zane Maloney. The feature race had a bit of a scary moment where Marshall nearly got run over by um, Victor Martins. It was within inches of that Marshall being very, very injured. So the FIA kind of threw the rule book at Martins. He got a, a rather heavy penalty that dropped him down to eighth in the race in the end. But yeah, it was not a good look at all. How did he? How did he almost hit a marshal? Where was? So there was like a in the in the pit no, lane. So there was a car crashed. It was his teammate. Ironically, um, was it his teammate? It was. It was an. It was another. It was Jack Doohan at the top of the hill. Uh, th- there were yellow flags out, and I believe it was under a safety car at this point. Um, Marshall was in the middle of the track trying to recover the car the gap for the other cars to go by was around where the marshal was and Martins just did not slow down anywhere near enough, uh, nearly crashed into the crashed car and in avoiding that very nearly hit the marshal. Jesus Christ. So yeah, really not a good look, but mercifully everyone came out uninjured and, um, that's the important thing. So yeah, Frederick Vesti now leads the F2 championship. Um, F3, uh, Josep Maria Marti uh, dominated the sprint race and then Gabriel Milly um, claimed the his first Formula 3 win in the feature race, which is cool to see, just holding off the um, second place uh, Prima of Dino Boganovic. So that's everything from Monaco. Like we said, Formula 1 will be back next week for the Spanish Grand Prix. We will be back after the short break to talk about Indianapolis. Um, and the uh, NASCAR Cup Series race has just got started. So we'll tell you about that in a minute as well. So uh, join us after this. With half the show gone, there's still half the show still to go. This is the Into the Paddock podcast. month of May approaches, and the summer of racing will be kicking off in the biggest way possible. A Memorial Day weekend, Into the Apex is back on the road, presented by ProCart Concepts for our third pilgrimage to the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. Join us the Saturday before the 500 at Daredevil Brewery in Speedway, Indiana, 
for pitchers of beer and indie talk. We're there to bring the hype and feel of IMS to the ITA family around the world. Into the Apex is excited to introduce a monthly subscription. For 99 cents a month, get regular, exclusive audio and video content on the Into the Apex podcast feed presented by Spotify. Into the Apex After Dark? Only fans into the Apex, InfoWars into the Apex. We're not too sure what it's called just yet, but we do know that it's edgy, it's provocative, it's everything we do here at the Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. To subscribe, go to intotheapex.com and hit the subscription button down below. This, this is Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast, Podcast Network. Network. Welcome back to the Into the Paddock podcast. Before we start our second half of the show, be sure to uh, follow us on social media to stay up to date with when our latest episodes go live. Uh, we are at Into the Paddock, that's with the number two, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can also check out the affiliated podcasts on the Into the Apex podcast network and subscribe to the Into the Apex YouTube channel to see video clips from our show and our sister shows. You can check all of that out at intotheapex.com. And if you're a fan of what we do here on the Into the Apex podcast network, you can sign up for 99 cents a month for premium access to exclusive content through Spotify and Anchor. So yeah, check all of that out at intotheapex.com. NASCAR update. uh, Denny Hamlin's just taken the lead from William Byron, and we're on lap 27 of the Coca-Cola 600. So yeah, there is no way in hell that this race finishes anywhere near before the end of our show so uh, yeah be sure to tune in next week where we'll have updates from whoever wins this uh longest race in nascar's calendar do you, do you hope it's denny hamlin uh no <laughs> <laughs> uh, to be honest uh, my, my pick prior to the weekend because I, I i made picks for who was going to win each of the major races and i picked chase elliott um because hendrick tend to do pretty well at charlotte although right now they're they're struggling a little bit as as byron's just lost uh, second place to blady um i also got the other two picks wrong because i picked alexander rossi for the indy 500 and fernando alonso for the monaco grand prix so none of my picks are looking that good right now <laughs> it happens it happens i, I don't think I've, I, I've i think last year i no the year castro neves won i got two out of three um I think I think the cup race fucked me over again there. So whatever. Um, before we move on to the Indy 500, a quick uh, a couple of quick bits of news that I wanted to mention for a, a couple of minutes or so. First off, relating to uh, WEC and a man that has raced at both of the big races that we're talking about this week, uh, Indianapolis and Monaco, uh, Jacques Villeneuve will not be racing at Lamar um, in a couple of weeks' time. He has been replaced at Van Wall. Uh, by the Frenchman Tristan Vautier. Um, the team are citing that he isn't ready, uh, both because he is expecting an addition to his family and lacks mileage at Le Mans uh, to be competent in the highest class. Um, I have a sneaking suspicion personally that it, he might not want to have driven. It, it sounds very similar to, I think it was around 2014, no, 2015 in Formula E. He was meant to do a full season with Venturi and pulled out after three races after being shit. So I'm I'm wondering if maybe he's um, pulling a sickie, perhaps to avoid embarrassment. How old is he now? Uh, for uh, fifty-two. Yeah, yeah. 
Wait, 52 and is having a baby? I mean, at this point... I... Robert De Niro just had a baby, too. Yeah, Robert did, De Niro? Yeah, 70-something? Like yeah. What the so, fuck? I'm trying to go the other way. I'm, like, looking at vasectomies and shit. <laughs> I, have, I have zero kids. I have zero kids and zero want for kids. Fair enough. Fair enough. It, it, it's, it's a good decision. Yeah. Um, so long as Jack's kid doesn't bring out an album, then I think we'll be okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that, that's, you know, it, it, it is what it is. It's fair to say that Jack hasn't exactly been stellar in his first few races. Um, but then also, you know, his crash at Portimao, that was, that looked like a brake failure due to debris. So you can't really blame that on him. And I would honestly put the blame. He had that that crash with the GT Ferrari at Spa. I would actually put that on the Ferrari as well. So, is it fair to say that Jacques's been terrible? He hasn't been fast, <laughs> but do you think it's that big ass fucking race suit he wears? Yeah, accent parachute, like, like a drag yeah. racing parachute. <laughs> he needs to get a tailor or something because he's like, always yeah, he's that. never he's, he's yeah he just likes them big and loose, right? Yeah, I, I met him in 2015 at Formula E preseason testing at Donington Park, and I, I walked. I, I was walking up to him, and I'm like, "Who is this racing driver wearing his dad's clothes?" Like, he, he, there's he's so baggy. Yeah. But it's like, so big. It is driver preference, I guess. But he is the one that wears them the baggiest. Like I've Absolutely. never seen somebody wear them that baggy. But I can only assume it's that. It's he looks like weight. a pipeline welder in the winter. <laughs> I bet he's been called a lot worse. You know, I mean, just <laughs> it's pipeline welder. It, like, at what point does the 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 addition of the extra weight? start being a factor <laughs> i mean you know like i mean it's it's so much suit i don't know how big tom dillman and esteban grieri are his teammates and whether maybe the 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 weight that they might have in relation to villeneuve might compensate for the for the extra tailoring like a ballast, like a ballast. <laughs> yeah i just it's such a big suit <laughs> yeah. it's mad it's mad so yeah uh, as much as like as much as People were kind of excited for Jacques' inclusion, you know, 1997 Formula One champion, 1996 Indy, uh, 95 car champion. Um, it's he's not been that good, and Tristan Vautier is an infinitely more capable driver. And I think whilst Van Wall Van der Vel aren't doing that well right now, Tristan will do better for them than Jacques. So, kind of all you can really say about that. Oh, um, well, he lost his job. Let's talk about IndyCar. Yeah. Uh, well, two, <laughs> and, and then current, uh, two little bits of Formula One news before we talk about IndyCar. It oh, yeah, was announced yeah. midweek that Aston Martin will be. Uh, we we kind of speculated on this a couple of weeks ago, but now it's confirmed. Aston Martin and Honda will join together for 2026 with Honda giving them engines and solely giving them engines. They will be the Honda Works team, and no one else is currently scheduled to have their their engines. Um, as a part of this, Aston Martin are going to be constructing their own gearboxes because they currently come packaged with mercedes from mercedes aston martin are going to be constructing rear suspension because that also comes from mercedes at the moment ironically considering they're sponsored by the oil company aramco they're now going to be able to use aramco oil because previously they've been using petronas oil from mercedes um aramco are going to be generating their own blend of oil specifically for the formula one engine 
it's a big step for Aston Martin. I mean, it, it's a step yeah. worthy of their progression up the field. You know, they, they fancy themselves to be title contenders of the future. Their jump and- up the grid this year has proved that they can do that. And I think all of these moves, you know, to go from a customer to a works team to, to do all of the necessary changes that you need to incorporate a change of engine, that's it's really good moves for them. Big Papa Stroll is making some moves. And I can't say that I'm against it. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, just having Aston on the grid and and having him do this well is just is amazing. I mean, we can talk all day about nepotism and the reasons why he bought the team so his son can have, you know, a seat or, you know, even if it, if that's even the case, right? Um, because, I mean, I don't, I don't know these people personally, right? He may have just wanted to have a team and also... My son drives. Um, but <laughs> I mean, the argument I always say is that without Stroll's investment, for whatever reason, why he did it, but without them, we would have yeah. lost Racing Point in 2019. Absolutely. And so, or 2018 or whenever it was. Time and, is a, irrelevant. And with <laughs> that, those people would have lost jobs. Exactly. I mean, they could have gone to any of the other teams on the grid, right? I'm, I'm pretty Ooh. sure a lot of those people would have been uh, safe financially due to their you know level of expertise or whatever. But... Uh, yeah, no, you're right. He, he saved a whole team. He saved a bunch of people's jobs and, and injected money, not only into, uh, Aston Martin, but into the sport in general, right? Like he's going to have their, their new state of the art fucking wind tunnels coming online soon. And I'm sure there's going to be teams wanting a little bit of piece of that, you know? So it's, uh, it was, it was a smart move for him, I think, financially and, and just good for the sport in general and good for Fernando Alonso also. See, this is the thing. So Fernando has said in the wake of this, he doesn't necessarily know what he's going to be doing in 2026, but, um, he hasn't written off competing at that point. If he's still, if he's still competitive and if he, if he feels he wants to continue, What's more, Honda have said that they have no objections to Fernando racing for them. There was a lot of speculation about that, considering Honda literally vetoed Alonso driving for them in the Indy 500 after their stint in McLaren, where Alonso called their engine a GP2 engine in Japan. You know, (laughs) there was a lot of bad blood between Alonso and Honda, but now Honda seemingly have been convinced otherwise. Um Alonso has also intimated in the week um, that he will be staying at Aston Martin until at, at least 2026, maybe long, maybe longer, by which time he'll be like 45. Um, and he's also said that he wants to go back to the Indy 500 and race for a Honda powered team. So all hey. of this is really, really good for Fernando, really, really good for Aston Martin. Um, it does make you wonder you know, with Aston Martin making so many big plays into becoming a big title contending team, I still come back to the fact that if they want to be taken seriously, they need to consider other drivers other than Lance Stroll. Um, Yeah, absolutely. And I wonder with Honda previously, they've always liked to have a say on the second driver in a team. Um, They've gotten around that at Red Bull by saying, well, okay, Alpha Tauri counts, so we can put one of our drivers there. That's why Yuki is there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it makes you wonder whether they'll have that same approach or whether they might give Aston Martin a little bit more freedom. But either way, even if they don't, I do think by that point, if Lance hasn't made an exponential rise up from his current performance levels, I think Aston Martin needs to look elsewhere. Have Aston Martin said anything about a hypercar program? 
not officially. There, there's been so much speculation about the Valkyrie, yeah. um, but I think at the moment all of their eggs are in the Formula One basket. Because that would be a great place for Lance. Honestly, yeah, I, and I think that right? that would be like, a really good place for him. So. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I mean, to have uh, Lance Stroll as just a you know factory driver for Aston Martin and not just a Formula One driver, I think that would be a good move for him. Yeah, you know, I mean, you'd be probably be more successful because I I can't say the kid's a bad driver. No, he's not. He's not, and you know, he deserves I mean, a spot on the grid. It's just and, and well. He he's deserved yeah. one over the last few years. Whether he deserves one now, you know he he's he's very hot and cold. He, he mm-hmm. on on his day he is very very good. It's just that day is quite rare. You know, you look at the qualifying performance he put in in Turkey a few years ago to get on pole, and then to basically win the race, albeit for a weird tire phenomenon that's never happened and probably will never happen again, where the intermediates became slick. That lost him that race. And he's had so many, like Bahrain this year, to to, to drive to sixth after with, with so yeah, little testing hands. with all the injuries he had. Incredible. So he, he is capable of great things. And I always go back to his junior career. You don't win European Formula 3 against the drivers he was racing against unless you're talented. And he's got the talent. And he, he has deserved to be in Formula 1 regardless of who his dad is or not. Whether he deserves to stay now I don't know. He does, I, and, and nobody deserves to have immunity through who your dad is. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see what Aston Martin do in the next few years. But I think having Fernando do what he's done in that car and make the moves that he has had with the team has done a lot to kind of prove that Lance isn't quite there. You know, Lance kind of held his own against the likes of Seb and... Um, Sergio, you know, he, he, he was, he was capable of matching them, but he's not capable of matching Fernando. And that's not a fair comparison because Fernando Alonso is genuinely one of the greatest drivers in the world right now. Fucking legend. So, you know, it's not a fair comparison, but I think he's kind of shown that if Aston Martin want to be taken seriously as a title contender, they maybe need to look for a two Alonso level drivers, not just one. Anyway, enough about formula one. We need to talk about the Indianapolis 500. Um, because that was the race that I was looking forward to the most um, of the weekend. And it delivered. Um, it was an incredible race. It, it, it kind of had everything. It had, it had all everything that you would expect from an Indy 500, and it ended in a way that you probably wouldn't expect from an Indy 500. But we'll get on to the end later. The, the, um, we'll, we'll get on to the controversy later. What, I think the main thing to take away from this was once again Indianapolis delivered the racing was incredible um f- the first half of the race kind of everyone drove within themselves you know it in IndyCar more than anything when it comes to the 500 mile races you do tend to get more of a, a a tame first half of the race and then it ramps up and up throughout the second half into a bit of an explosive um conclusion uh, the main point from the first half of the race was the previous dominant leaders of the race, um, the three holders of the front row, uh, Alex Polo, Renus VK, and um, Felix Rosenqvist, all fell by the wayside as the race went on. Um, Polo and VK had a moment on the pits in the pits in the first half of the race where VK lost control 
uh, he was doing the the customary IndyCar burnout to generate tire temperature out of the pit box, lost control, and then drove into the side of Polo's car. Um, they both fell back, were able to recover, but that, that kind of ended their race win hopes. Although they both came back to top ten finishes, but you know they they weren't they were never quite the same at that point. Once you lose track position, it is quite hard to maintain and come back up. Um, Felix Rosenquist, his incident was a little bit later. We'll talk about that in a moment. Scott Dixon was another uh, kind of race favorite. He had a massive tire vibration in the opening half of the race, which dropped him back. And and again, he was able to come back to a relatively strong finish, but you know, that kind of ended his hopes then and there as well. Um, so you then had um, McLaren in the mid stages looked like they were the dominant force as you had um, all four, all four of their cars slowly coming up toward the front. Um, you had them battling. I'm trying to remember who else was up there at the time. Santino Ferrucci. I think it's time we talk about Santino Ferrucci. Can we talk about his hair first? Oh, do we have to? It's so terrible. <laughs> Spo- spoiler alert: He didn't win the race, and I'm not a fan of Santino Ferrucci. I, I, I won't make any bones about that. But the main thing is, I'm really glad he didn't win because if they had to sculpt that hair onto the Borg Warner Trophy, it would have been bad. It would have been like he would he would have taken up two spaces. Yeah. So yeah, good for multiple reasons, but I don't know what, what, how you I don't know how you can simultaneously look like. Uh, a lost boy from <laughs> Hook and Justin Timberlake from the early 2000s. He looks like, like at the same time. Bob after a trim. It, it, it was like it was like Rufio Timberlake. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Good I do man. have some some a little bit of inside information. I I can tell you that uh, he. Uh, did well this weekend because of how hard he works and and the relationship he has with his uh, his engineers and stuff. And he was there the whole time, just working shit out with the with his guys. Uh, it, you know, without getting into it too much. Let me read the text I got. Um, <laughs> Inside information here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I have a lot of respect for Santino. He plays dumb, super intelligent. He was hands-on with the engineers all weekend. Hard worker, compelling personally. He may be a superstar in the making. Can't read the last sentence because that's, you know. Hmm. Uh, But uh, later on in the conversation, for a child, I was impressed. (laughs) (laughs) It's a difficult one because Santino comes with a lot of baggage. Um, He has not made a good bed for himself with his prior actions racing elsewhere. Um, simultaneously though, you can't deny that he dr- He had a really good month of May. What he and everyone at AJ Foyt have done. And I still bring this back to them signing uh, Michael Cannon from Chip Ganassi, who did so much for their oval program at Indianapolis. It's clear that he has worked his magic with AJ Foyt as well. Um, and, and yes, yeah, Santino drove really, really well. The, the overtakes he was able to make, they were uh, maybe a little bit of his trademark recklessness, especially for the points of the race that he was making them. But at the end of the day, when you're racing at 230 miles an hour, it's all a bit reckless in it. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, 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 it's difficult. It is difficult. It's, it's very difficult for me to praise Santino Ferrucci, given what he's done in the past. Um, 
you know, his actions when he was racing in Formula 2 were completely unacceptable. And I personally don't think that anyone should have a racing career after some of the stuff he has done. But Remi- remind us, if you don't mind, did he, uh, so was he, was, was he a helmet thrower? No, no, no. So no, Formula no, 2, no. uh, most of this centers around the Silverstone weekend in around 2018, 2019 ish. Um, he was racing for Trident in Formula 2 and was teammates with Arjun Miney, um, an Indian driver. Um, there was a whole host of things that he has ended up doing during the course of this kind of period of time. Um, he and his father, uh, the, the pair of them are believed to have made racist remarks toward Arjun Miney, his teammate. Uh, these have been spoken about by members of the Trident team and by the Mineys. Um, so that's obviously completely unacceptable and worthy of losing his seat in the first place. Um, he then at the end of one of the formula two races deliberately drove into his teammate after the race. Um, again, worthy. I of, think I remember that. Yeah. Again, worthy of losing your, your race seat over. Um, he then lost his seat in formula two because he stopped paying for it. And the team ultimately ended up taking him to court over it. Sad that that was what cost him a seat, but you know, at least it did. Um, He's, he was also fined by the FIA for using his mobile phone whilst driving through the paddock in his car, in the Formula 2 car. Again, worthy of losing your seat over. Um, yeah. at, the, at the same time, and this one's a bit more of a... An, a, a, a it's a bit more of a controversial reason. You know, some people are going to think this is fine. Some people are not. He was um, denied a request from Trident and Formula 2 themselves to use a Make America Great Again Trump livery on his Formula 2 car. Um, again, that's politics. You know, some people are going to think, hell yeah, that should be fine. You know, in NASCAR, it's fine. It, that's not what you do in Europe. You can't do stuff like that yeah. in Europe. That's just the end. Like, it doesn't matter if you think that should be okay. You can't do that in Europe. So... Plus, ugh, fuck that. Um, <laughs> you know, he, he's wow. got a lot of baggage. You know, <laughs> yeah, the fact yeah, that we've spent yeah. the last three minutes, and, and you know, I, I really, I, as much as I believe in redemption arcs for some people, that when it's all of that, and the fact that Ferrucci has said multiple times in the past that he doesn't regret any of it, you know. No regrets. I find it very hard to, to praise somebody yeah, when yeah. that's what's when that's what's in the past but it, you know yeah. there are some things that are undeniable and his talent at least at indianapolis is evident and abundant so yeah. well done but you're still a douchebag um <laughs> <laughs> basically um but yeah so he he was battling the mclarens in the mid stages of the race um but all throughout the race you had the ever looming threat of someone that i i and many people have been talking about throughout the month of may Joseph Newgarden and Team Penske, particularly Newgarden. Um, he was slowly, he qualified 17th or, or around that. He was slowly working his way up through the race went on. And then he got toward the front, like the top three or four positions. And I'm thinking, you know, throughout practice, he has had a really good race car. If he can get into the lead of this, he has a shot. Um, the McLarens, as the race came to its conclusion, started decimating themselves. Rosenqvist, and this was probably the scariest moment of the race, um, he was being passed by, I don't remember who, but he was being passed by somebody, <laughs> um, lost grip, went understeered up into the outside wall at the exit of turn one, 
um, spun back down the racetrack with broken with broken suspension and steering. He was then collected by Kyle Kirkwood. Kyle Kirkwood's right uh, left rear tire was sheared off completely, um, which was a really strange accident. You know, you, you don't see the tires make a bid for freedom like that that often, but such were the energies involved. It just sheared clean off and was launched skyward toward the grandstands. Mercifully, and through sheer luck and physics, I suppose, the tyre managed to avoid anybody in the grandstands. It ultimately ended up hitting a Chevrolet a Chevrolet Cruze? Yeah, it was a white Chevy Cruze. Yeah. So, I mean, if the only loss was a Chevy Cruze, it's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, um, and, and I will say, I believe it was Roger Penske or maybe somebody else. I don't remember, I don't remember who. Uh, the lady who owned the car. Yes. They they let her come onto the track. She got to take pictures with the bricks. They gave her a ride home. They towed her car, all that stuff. Hopefully they're gonna fix it. If not, insurance will. You know, they made it right. And she didn't see she, she honestly didn't seem too too upset about it. No, that, that you know, it was I mean, a really that, nice that, of what they did. And um, that's a memory. Yeah. She said she said in the end, you know, it's just a car, you know. It the is. important nobody, thing is, is nobody, nobody got, got hurt. hurt and yeah. that that was a really, really scary incident. And it raised a few questions that I do want to briefly address. I am aware that we don't have all the time in the world, but whatever. That's no, fine. This is um, the last subject of the day, I think. Right? It is, actually. In yeah, fairness, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, we've, got, we've got time. We've got time. We've Fuck got it. time. Um, you know, there, there, there came a discussion about that it was, it was luck more than anything that prevented someone getting seriously injured in that. So what could you do to, to prevent it? My my point was that it was a freak accident, and by definition, they're freak. You you can't foresee a tire coming off like that, and then being launched specifically in that direction. You know, at that speed, at that height, and everything. I, it you know, it's hard to prevent that, and they've already do a lot to prevent it by having all of the tire tethers that they have. Um, wh- whether I they still can, haven't seen it, you haven't what the crash. Well, the cra- so I, I I saw the crash. I haven't seen the the tire flying off right so i was at i was at a family function yesterday oh, it yeah. being memorial day weekend right so i was watching the race on my phone i probably saw 85 percent of the race um the yeah i saw that i kind of saw the accident but i didn't see the tire and i haven't been able to find like a replay of the tire mm. flying because yeah, they only really showed it on the the, the first initial camera angle they used when the crash happened yeah. is the only one where you really see the tra- yeah. trajectory of the tire. Um, but I, I, I have to find it, but I mean, it, you're right. You know, the tethers should have worked and they didn't. Um, I mean, they're the, the catch fence should have worked and just wasn't there, I guess. Right. Or it just, it got launched at a weird angle. Well, you can, you can, the thing is you can only make catch fencing so tall. Right. Um, whilst retaining its structural rigidity to actually do what it's doing in the first place, and that's catching cars and debris. Right. Um, so there's that. Yeah. Could you have the the grandstands a little bit further down? Because you, I, I don't know. It, you can't really prevent something like this from happening. I think the the good thing is is that in, uh, IndyCar and Indianapolis Motor Speedway in particular are very safety conscious and they are very good at looking at stuff, analyzing it and doing whatever they can to prevent it from happening again. So they will have a look at this, I'm sure. And there will be a lot of investigations that go on. And if they find anything they can do to possibly prevent it from happening again, they'll do it. Um, Whether that's increasing the amount of tethers somehow, maybe changing. I I, I don't know. I don't know why the tethers failed in this situation. Again, freak accident. Like it was such a tiny glance. And you, you can't you can't plan for everything. 
There's no, there's no possible way to know when and where everything is going to happen and how, what angles it's going to be at and the speed and the veracity at which something's going to, you know, fly and hit somebody. Mm. It, it, you, you can never tell. Uh, I mean, you want to try to, you want to yeah, try to plan for everything, but you just, you just can't. You know? But I think and, what was, what was evident is that a lot of the safety measures that IndyCar had brought in worked during this race. Um, Yes, Kyle Kirkwood flipped in this instance. Mercifully, both drivers were okay. Um, the onboard footage of Kirkwood from in the car whilst the sparks are going was incredible. Fucking um, phenomenal, right? That looked great. And he looked like he was just living there. Yeah. Right? He, he looked like just okay with the situation. This is my life right now. The visor, is, he flipped his visor open before he hit the ground, didn't he? Uh, the, the, the severity of the crash flipped the visor open. Okay. Uh, he, he didn't himself, but... Um, yeah, it, it just it, yeah, it, it he didn't seem uncomfortable to be honest. I'm I sure mean, he was. I'm he sure did. he was. Yeah. I'm sure he was, but but his body language mm. as little as he's able to have in a race car, you know, it, it didn't tell me that he was having a bad time other mm. than the fact that, you know, it reminded me of the Talladega Nights. I'm upside down, it's not good. Yeah. yeah. But but you know, Kirk yeah, Kirk would manage to flip over, but that was uh, as you know, he lost a tire going full speed for a corner. You can you can't stop cars flipping in that situation. But later on in the race, when you had O'Ward have a crash, I think the the wickers that we spoke about mm-hmm. they stopped that car from going over. And and same with Catherine Legs earlier in the week when she had the crash with Stefan Wilson. Um, they looked eerily similar. Yeah, they did. The way the front of the car comes up and then kind of slowly comes yeah. down. So they they work as well. So IndyCar do a lot to to help safety, and I'm sure they will learn from this. However, this kind of leads on to... I'll I'll come back to IndyCar and learning from mistakes later on. Um, So that brought out a red flag with about 10 laps to go in the race. Um, Red flags in IndyCar are a relatively new thing. Like I think the first instance of this being used in the closing stages of an Indy 500 was around 2014. But it's also happened in two other races over the last few years as well. And the idea is that they want to try and preserve a green flag finish. And rather than do what NASCAR do, which is add laps, IndyCar always respect the length of the races. They're not going to add laps. It's a 500 mile race. If they have enough time to, to, to throw a red flag with enough time to then restart the race and have a green flag finish, then they'll try and do it. And and I, I kind of, I'm, I'm okay with that. So long as you're not adding anything on or or rushing any processes and that will become relevant. um, I think that's okay, you know, because whilst races are okay to end under yellow and they do happen in IndyCar, Dario Franchitti won an Indy 500 under yellow, Tony Kanan did as well. You know, it's better to have a green flag finish. I think everyone would agree about that. Um, So that was the first red flag. Set up a sort of five or five six or seven lap sprint toward the finish um and then you had pato award um on one of the restarts he went for a move up the inside of marcus erickson into turn three the move didn't come off um it's up for debate as to whose fault it was i would personally blame award and say that it was a bit too reckless of a move considering it wasn't the last lap and it wasn't for the lead of the race he made it a bit late and I think he put himself in a position where he was not left any space. Other people think that Marcus squeezed him. I 
I, I, I don't know. I'd blame Pato more. I, I think he didn't have to make that move when he did. Um, it was a little tight. It was a little, it was a little tight. tight. But, but I mean, it's 230 fucking miles an yeah, hour. Yeah. You know, it, it, you know I, I'd, it's six of one half, a dozen of the other. I think yeah. it's coming toward the end of a race. One person's attacking hard. One person's defending hard. I wouldn't have made the move that Tony Kanan made through the grass to make the pass. That was mad, wasn't it? But <laughs> and never lifted at all. That was kind even, of out right? of necessity like, rather than desire. But <laughs> you know, but I mean, it, it just—I I wouldn't have done that. But you know, no. I'm also not fucking Tony Kanan. No. Um, so yeah, so so that contact between Ericsson and O'Ward put O'Ward up into the wall. You then had a secondary accident after that where um, Scott McLaughlin ran over the back of Simon Paginot. Augustine Canapino was included in that, and he ended up rolling into the back of O'Ward's stricken car. Uh, the belief is that he severed a brake line and couldn't stop. But I that's what it looked like. I it looked like a. I mean. I, he turned very late. It looked like he yeah. realized the new garden was there a little bit late, but I don't know. But I mean, you're sitting low in these cars. How far ahead can you really see? I would hope that far. <laughs> you're right. Yeah, you're probably right. But, but I mean, I don't it, know, it's it, weird. We yeah. don't really know what caused it. I, I hope, uh, like I said, the belief is it was a brake failure of some description. I hope it was that. Um, but everyone was okay from that, but it caused another red flag. That's the second one. At this point, we're all thinking, you know, we, we've got so little laps left now. They, the, the next one's got to be it. There was like three laps left, right? Uh, not three yet. Or four? Not yet. No, no. And so there, there was there was about six six ish laps left at this point. They then had another restart after a clean. Everything was cleaned up, and before they'd even really got to the fin- the start line. A couple cars at the back wrecked. Uh, Ed Carpenter, uh, Graham Rahal, and one of the Andrettis. I don't remember which. Uh, they they just ran over each other at the back of the field, and that brought out another red flag. Now, at this point, there were three laps to go. Not enough time, you would have thought. In fact, even all the commentators were starting to say Marcus Ericsson has won the Indianapolis 500. He had just snuck into the lead in the time it took for the green flag to come out before they wrecked. So he had just snuck ahead of Santino Ferrucci. There was a little bit of a debate as to who was in the lead at the time. Santino Ferrucci seemed to believe he was in the lead of the race and promptly went side by side with Ericsson as they were heading toward the crash on the start-finish straight. Another great thing to add to his glittering repertoire. Um, (laughs) nevertheless, they called a red flag. There was a delay to it. So they had a full lap under caution, eating up another crucial lap before they brought out the red flag again. Um, at this point, nobody really knows what's going to happen. Like they're trying to preserve a finish and it just didn't seem like there were enough laps left. All throughout the race so far, whenever you were coming back to green to take a restart, you needed multiple laps to build up tire temperature. You needed multiple pace laps. You couldn't come out of the pits and go straight to a green flag, surely. Well, that's what they did. Um, IndyCar let them come out of the pits after the red flag, had one warm-up lap straight from the pits, and then went straight into the final lap of the race. Marcus Ericsson was leading. Um, They got Ericsson and Newgarden got a hefty jump on the pack behind them. Meanwhile, at the back, multiple cars are side by side before the green flag has even been called, before Ericsson had even gone. But for some reason, that was a legal start. They didn't wave it off like they did with Pato earlier on. So that's another rule or thing that they've ignored. 
to try and have a one lap sprint to the finish. It was really weird and kind of confusing to watch. It was like as very it was happening. Formula One Abu Dhabi 2021 for me. Yeah, like yeah. there was there was technically, and I've seen this said from people who know the IndyCar rulebook better than I do. Technically, no rules were broken um, or contradicted, but a lot of preconceived precedent was broken. For example, the fact that the start was so disorganized. A couple a couple laps before, Pato Award was in the lead of a, ra- uh, of a race on a restart. They didn't like how the restart was formed up, so they waved it off. If they'd waved off this restart, that would have been the end of the race. So did they just change what they considered a good start just to keep it green? Manufacturing the end seems a little a strange. Good, wanting a good race, and it's even more strange that Roger Penske's team that he owns won See, a race in the series that he owns on a is, track that he owns. <laughs> this is the thing. A lot of people are genuinely, seriously saying that, and I don't think that is. It, I don't. What I don't think it's doing. the case. It's just. It's. It's a funny thing to think about that he owns the car, the series, and but the track. It's the can of worms you end up with opening yeah. when you do stuff like this, and. Yeah. I, I, I want to. <laughs> I don't think anyone from IndyCar is listening. We are only a small podcast, after all. We are, but I do want to. I do want to make. Will Power it, likes our shit on he does. Instagram. That's a good he, point. he Will Power might be listening. He might. And if you are, we would love to have you on the show. <laughs> Tell us how this fucking thing worked out. I don't because we don't know. Yeah, but I, I would. I would like to to make an uh, a, a a plea to IndyCar. IndyCar for me, and I've been saying this all year, and I will continue to say this for years to come, I think, unless unless they keep going down this route. IndyCar succeeds because it isn't what other series are. You know, you compare it to Formula One and it's a lot purer form of racing. The cars are a lot closer. The racing's a lot better. It's just more honest. It's not NASCAR because it's not full of gimmicks like overtime finishes and stage racing. You know, it's just racing. However, the decision to try and go for a manufactured green flag finish at all costs, green flag finish to the Indy in Indy 500. It, it felt very formula one. It felt yeah. very much in keeping with what a lot of other series are trying to do right now, which is prioritizing entertainment at all costs rather than sporting integrity. And it's such a shame that, after what was an incredible race, we're left with the sour taste in the mouth of what felt like an overly dramatized manufactured finish because it was a really good race. It didn't need that. We've had so many Indy 500s in the past that have been amazing races that have ended under yellow, and yet nobody really cared that it ended under yellow because they had had 199 laps of brilliant racing. If the 200th one ends under yellow, so be it. It was still a really good race. It's the greatest spectacle in racing. We don't need to make it anything more than what it is it's already great um and it's it's a massive shame because what ultimately came of the race was the one lap shootout between marcus erickson and joseph newgarden i do feel bad for marcus erickson because he didn't really have an opportunity to respond on a one lap dash of indy of the indy 500 you're not you don't want to be leading on the final restart because you don't have any way to respond um, so when Joseph Newgarden made the brilliant move on the backstretch that he did to take the lead, Ericsson was never going to find a way back through. They weaved like hell on the final straight coming to the line. 
I think that was a little bit a little bit dangerous, given the fact that they were in the pit entry at one point. He damn near drove into the pit entry. I do think they maybe need to. Like, the weaving is fine. I think all the drivers know about the weaving, so they know to expect 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 it. But I think maybe they need to bring in a rule where you can't cross into the pit commitment zone for the pit entry because one of these days someone's going to hit the attenuator and that's going to be awful. I mean, is it part of the racing service? It is. Well. But maybe they need to have a discussion about that because they came a little bit too close to that. I mean, from the angle we saw, you know. Oh, yeah, I'm it's sure. A, it's a yeah. look, as when you know, we, we watch a lot of racing, as we know, and, mm. and you find errors in commentary because of this, what I'm about to say specifically. It's hard to have depth perception and mm. have and, and know how close something is behind another thing when you're watching it from head on. Yeah. Right. And, you know, you, we, we all see commentary where they're like, oh, he almost made a pass there. And then they make it through the turn. And you see, he's like two car. <laughs> no, they weren't. Like, no, he, no, he didn't. <laughs> no, he didn't do that at all. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, I, 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 I don't want to disagree with you, but I also don't agree with you. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it, it if it's part of the racing surface, it's part of the racing surface, and he may not have been as close to the end of that pit wall yeah. as maybe we we perceived him to be. Yeah, true. Uh, I will say it was wild to see, right? Just that to go from one wall to the other, to the wall, to the back, you know, like that was, uh, I mean, when Fernando Alonso did that at Silverstone, mm. the the whole world complained. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing, you know, yeah. it, it's it's the difference in rules because like in Formula One, weaving is just not allowed. Um, yeah. In IndyCar, it has been allowed. I know they've tight, tried to tighten it up over the last couple of years, but ultimately I believe it, it, basically it's if the car isn't alongside you, you can go where you want uh, so long as it's not in a braking zone or so as long as it's not reactionary blocking, so long yeah. as the car isn't actually in the process of trying to overtake you. Ericsson was far enough behind where it was, it was okay. Um, yeah. And yeah, ultimately, New Garden just about held on in the fourth closest Indianapolis 500 finish in history. Joseph New Garden finally scored an Indy 500 win. And that's the thing from all of this. I, I have all of these complaints about how the race ended organizationally and structurally. But the one thing I don't want to do is take away from Joseph New Garden's win because he drove amazingly. He did yep. everything that he had to do given the situations he was presented with. And he came out on top. And and ultimately, he still won the Indy 500 and he fully deserves it. I don't want to take that away from him at all. It was incredible. I loved his celebrations with the crowd. Apparently, he'd planned that for years. He'd said if he ever won the 500, he was going to go He's and do going that. In. Did you see, uh, so our, our intrepid network leader, Tyler Beeman and his brother were there. Did you see his video? Yeah. He, he was the, right yeah, there. He was, he was right, right there. there. It, like, it, it came in, almost went right to him. I mean, he was like a couple of rows away from the, uh, you know, the start finish line where he, he came through the fence, but it was like, that was an awesome video. <laughs> yeah. It was, <laughs> it was awesome to see. Uh, we need to have him on next week. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully next week it. or within the next couple of weeks, just to find out. Cause the thing that, uh, the thing that always sets the Indy 500 to me apart from any other race is, just the atmosphere that it looks like there is it, it really is yeah. a spectacle it lives up to the name and you know 
to, to be there for for that finish or to be there for Castro Neves's win a couple of years ago or Dan Weldon's in 2011. It, they're iconic motorsport moments as soon as they happen. So to actually be there, I'd love yeah. to know what that's like. Although I'm going to find out what that's going to be like because I am going there next year or the year after. I've, I've decided it's happening. I'm going. Do it. But in the meantime, I'll meet you there. In the meantime, there. yeah, all right, cool. It, it's it's signed, but in yeah. the meantime, the closest we can get is get Tyler on to hear what it was like on the ground there. So we shall have to do that in a couple of weeks. But um, yeah, Joseph Newgarden ended up winning. It, it really, really cool. Ericsson just missed out by nine nine hundredths of a second, and I do feel bad for him, and I understand his his complaints. Although it was rather amusing to see that after his complaints of a manufactured finish, people managed to find his tweets where he said that Abu Dhabi 2021 was really exciting. So, you know, I guess it depends. <laughs> depends if you were involved in Got it. Got him. Not, I suppose. <laughs> um, Santino Ferrucci finished third and was left upset because he felt like he let the race get away from him. We, we've spoken enough about Santino. He drove really well. Um, I just hope he becomes less of an asshole. Um, Alex Pillow recovered from his contact with Renus VK on the pit lane to finish fourth, which was incre- an incredible drive. Um, the fact that he th- this was probably his last race for Ganassi in the Indy 500. It looks like he's moving to McLaren next year. Um, the fact that his Ganassi tenure hasn't ended in an Indy 500 win is quite surprising, given how strong he's been every year. Um, and I've no doubt he will win an Indy 500 one day. Um, my pick for the 500, Rossi finished fifth. Um McLaren looked quick, um, but it was a shame that they all kind of destructed themselves over the last couple of uh, the last couple of laps. And Rossi was their best finish in fifth. Scott Dixon came back from his vibration early on to finish sixth. Takuma Sato had an un- that was un- wild, by the way. The vibration, yeah, the vibration. Did you see the? You see? Did you see the slow motion? Or the wing. It wasn't even slow motion, but there's <laughs> like the like half motion replay of him going around the turn. It was like. I, we didn't see that much vibration out of the porpoising Ferraris. No, no. It's like it was, in, it was fucking incredible. I, I can't believe he drove like that for more than a lap. Yeah, and, and it was good that, because obviously the, the incident that happened with Kirkwood and Rosenquist, it was good that everyone came out of that unscathed. It was also good that we didn't have, that there were quite a lot of fears that we might have more tire issues during this race. Uh, there, there'd been quite a few instances of the tires uh cording themselves and wearing irregularly and causing these kind of vibrations throughout practice so it's good that we didn't have a major incident attributed to that so that was good um takuma sato finished seventh after a a relatively un-takuma like drive it was quite unspectacular from him i think the biggest moment he had was when he checked up and caused the moment where tk um went off road out of turn two so that that was the most we saw of takuma really so that was a bit strange uh, Connor Daly finished eighth, uh, Colton Herter ninth, and Renus VK came back from his pit accident to finish tenth. Um, quick shout out to Tony Kanaan, final Indy 500. Um, he went out doing something he'd never done before, he said, by uh, overtaking with all four wheels off the track. Um, but ultimately, he finished 16th. And he said afterwards it was good for him to have a final race where he wasn't in contention so that he didn't feel tempted to come back again. <laughs> so, i like fuck that. it let's make it 23 starts wait that was his 23rd start wasn't it i think so yeah yeah was it his 23rd or 22nd i can't something remember. like it's, that. dude's been around for a long time and is a just a fucking phenomenal person for the sport yeah you know i think he said in an interview later on after the race he's like i you know it doesn't matter what you do here as long as you're a good you know 
you you make the sport known mm-hmm. and you're a good servant of the sport and he and he absolutely he absolutely has, you know? has been and will continue yeah. to be in whatever role he does next yeah and, and tk wherever you are enjoy life bud yeah. you know uh i mean he's, he's still got a whole indie car season ahead of him right well no no th- th- no, no, is, no 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 he's not he's not this yeah, is no, it. He's yeah done yeah he's done done that's right uh so well tk it's been nice yeah um, couple other shout outs further down the order. Graham Rahal didn't expect to talk about him in this race after he was bumped from the field, but I um, thought it was crazy too. Cause you said he wasn't going to be able to drive because it was a Chevy car and he's a Honda driver. Ev- everyone, you know? everyone was like, there's no way it happens, but full credit to everyone at Honda at Chevrolet, at Q6 motorsports, dryer Reinbold and, and Rahal at Lanigan racing because they hashed out a deal in a matter of hours to get Graham in the car in the place of Stefan Wilson, who ultimately this week ended up having surgery to stabilize the fracture in his vertebrae. He was at the track can, on he, Sunday, which was he great. can walk, right? Yeah, he's he, not he paralyzed. Walked, no, I was looking up that. I was looking up the T12 fracture. Is the T12 he broke, right? I think so. Something like that. Yeah, the thoracic. Uh, he. I was looking it up, and it's often associated with like being paralyzed from the chest down you know like all all kinds of you know the the worst shit that could happen when your back breaks and mm. so you know he's incredibly lucky and i'm glad to see he's uh he's gonna be okay sorry i'm just watching the end of stage three of the cup race it's pretty good um oh yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah so fair credit to all all of those parties for getting the deal done um fortunately the bad luck for graham rahal and for cusick didn't end there as a dead battery on the grid meant that he went two laps down at the start um that what an up and down it's like, just a, a, moment the biggest for roller coaster like, doing all right doing the indy 500 damn it i got bumped by my teammate all right we're back in we're gonna be driving a chevy fuck the batteries out and then yeah. you know he comes back two laps later you you're making a face like some shit is happening that was a good finish this, yeah it was a good finish <laughs> it was okay. a good finish uh we'll, okay. we'll mention that in a second uh yeah but ultimately he ended up finishing 22nd five laps down uh, it was great for him to just be in the race after the roller coaster of bump day, but I think after having a dead battery on the grid before even starting, I don't think Graham's ever going to drive a Chevrolet ever again. Um, yeah, probably his the second least favored Chevrolet on the grid after that one that got hit by the tire. So not not great. Um, <laughs> further back, uh, Stingray Rob, our favorite driver, he crashed out. He was really you know, angry I- about it, but he was kind of just being raced and didn't like it. So I, if I, if I was going to make a bet for Sunday, it would have been for Stingray Rob to be the first person to crash out. I mean, I love the kid. He's, but, but why do you I, love uh, him? Cause of his name. <laughs> <laughs> he's got an awesome name. Not, but not, but seriously, not only that, he, he seems like genuinely a good person. Mm. Right. And he, he wants to be there. He's making, you know, making a name for himself. Um, and it just he he's just at the back of the field and it makes me sad. Yeah. It makes me sad. I really wanted him to do better. Yeah. But you know, rookie season. The Indy car is not an easy car to drive. In any scenario. So, you know, keep it up, kid. You'll do better. To to be one of the unluckiest slash least good indie car drivers on the grid is still something because even the least yeah. talented driver on IndyCar is a massively talented driver to get there in the first place. Period. So uh, it Period. might be a bit unfair for me to call him the least talented, but the, the one who maybe deserves to be there the least. 
Even that feels harsh, but you know what? That I'm feels saying. bad. Yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm sugarcoating he, it. I don't think he should be there, but he's still like he's still a good driver. We'll see. Still feels bad. <laughs> we'll see. It does. It does. Doesn't it? You can't like. It, and and honestly, if we're having trouble saying bad things about him, does it? I mean, what does that say about him as a person? Yeah, exactly. I'm sure. I'm you sure he's saying? a very like nice he, person. He seems like it. Yeah. Seems like his interviews are fun. Yeah. So so that's it for this week's episode of Rob Watch. Um, and that's basically it for this week. Uh, ultimately, yeah, massive congratulations to Joseph. Again, thoroughly deserved it no matter the controversial finish. It wasn't him that was controversial. It was the series. And, yep. um, you know, on, on a day where we had a few lucky escapes when it comes to safety at the track, I would just implore IndyCar to think about putting drivers in un- unnecessarily risky positions by having multiple restarts at the end of a race like this. That's that that would be the point that I would want to underline from all this. But we'll I see. I even think that is. I, th- I even think that is kind of digging. You know, reaching for something. I mean, it it, it was a good race. It, it was, was a good. It was, it was, really good, it was a good. It was a good fucking weekend overall. It, it was, to be it honest, was, yeah. like and. And also, hats off to uh, Joseph Newgarden's wife for having probably one of the best like race finish reactions I've seen. Oh, she was great. Yeah, yeah, right. Like just a puddle of tears at the end. I loved, loved it. The moment where they were all uh, on the start finish straight, uh, taking pictures, cry- taking pictures and crying, and and then they um, the the kid Kota, who is oh, yeah. named after the racetrack, <laughs> by the way. Um, Joseph's like you. You ain't gonna remember any of this. You're not gonna remember any of this, bud. <laughs> Yeah, his Brilliant. mom was there. Yeah, it was. Brilliant. And how many how many attempts has Joseph Newgarden made? Seven? Twelve, I think. Twelve? Is it really that many? I think so. He, I think he made his debut around 2013, 2012. Wow. So he's he's been frustrated and has wanted to win this for a long time, but he's he finally it. done it. Yeah. And that's Penske's nineteenth win at the Indy Five Hundred. Yeah. Again, Roger Penske, and his first as the owner. It's his first? His first is the owner, yeah. Wow. So, Roger Penske, who owns the team, the series, and the track, <laughs> got an Indy 500. It's all rigged. <laughs> I don't like him putting chemicals on the water. Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, before that happens, yeah. That, yeah, that, 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 that's a nice way to end, I think. Um, stage one has just finished in the NASCAR Cup race at the Coca-Cola 600. Um, William, uh, I, I, you know, I just watched the finish and I can't remember who it was really close. Um, William Byron just held on in a, in a virtual photo finish to win stage one. We'll bring you our reaction to the rest of the race in next week's show, where we'll also be talking about the Spanish Grand Prix, uh, NASCAR's next race, which is at gateway gateway. Yep. Uh, IndyCar at Detroit, um, Sadly, you're not going, but we'll talk about um, Mission and Pilot, yeah, I'm really sure. Wish, I really, really wish I was going. Yeah. Um, and also, and Formula E in, Indo- in Indonesia. They have a double header. So we'll be talking about all of that on next week's Fuck show. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, make sure you follow us on show- social media, not social. Um, as we said at the start of this half, at in two, the number two, the paddock on Twitter and Instagram to stay up to date with when our latest shows come out. Uh, also head over to intotheapex.com to check out all of our affiliated networks. Um, you can also follow us on social media. I am at jgroves1996 on Twitter and Instagram. And Greg is at... 
I am at Speed Rat Racing pretty much everywhere. Just look me up, Speed Rat Racing, uh, Twitch, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all those, all those happy horse shits. <laughs> there you go. It's been a long episode, but it's been a long week, and it's still not over. Eric Jones is currently getting pushed back on pit road. We're off to watch the rest of this race. Until next time, have a very good week, and goodbye. Let's do it. Cue the music. See you later. Thank you for listening to Into the Paddock by the ITA Podcast Network. Join us next time for more provocative motorsport talk.